You can clap. Well, good morning, Carpenter's Way. Those of you in the room, those of you watching online, I know that a lot of you are on vacation right now. I even know of some people sitting in a boat listening to us talk, and uh, I am glad that you're joining with us wherever you're joining from. Um, we're very, very excited because we feel like the elders, we've been praying about this, asking you to pray about it, and we feel like it's time for us to start calling each other back uh, to worship in person again. Uh, now, having said that, man, I know some of you have health issues. I know that some of you are taking care of those who have health issues, and so you just, you just keep watching online if you need to, and we're going to keep uh, working hard to make sure that we can uh, minister to you digitally as long as you need. Uh, one of the things that we talked about as elders is, is this is not going away. So when do we start trying to normalize? Um, we took into account, and, and really I, I, I understand that this is not popular with all. We just are doing the best we can uh, to see what's best for our church and, and what the Lord has asked us to do. Having said that, we're going to be going slowly. Uh, so we're starting this Sunday, next Sunday, just come. No longer are you coming just to when your Bible study are invited. We're just opening it up. Uh, we're going to still ask you to sit three or four seats apart, uh, families, uh, to the next family, and wear masks as you come in, and once you're seated, you can take them off. Uh, Bible studies will be meeting as they see fit, but our goal is within the next four months to go 100% back to our programming as we've had. So 1st of January, we're looking forward to Wednesday nights and our Bible study and full-blown children's ministry. Uh, but just so you know, for the next month, we're going to have service and I, uh, on Sunday morning, and you're invited to come back. And I, I want to talk to parents with young kids. I am confident that it is annoying worshiping with your children. I hear from you that it's hard at home. It's going to be hard at here. But listen, it's not hard for anybody but you, moms. <laughs> it, we, we get it. We've all been moms um, or dads. And, and, uh, but we, we want you to come. Bring your kids. If they have to leave the worship center 10 times to go to the bathroom, if they need to lay on the floor and draw, we're going to have, a, a, Alicia has, has crayons and has pictures to draw. If your kids need to lay on the floor and draw, this is, this is not a church building. This is a family. This is our home. And we want you back in. And, and what we're going to do is the end of September, uh, I think it's the last week, Mother's Day Out starts. That's our preschool program for uh, two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then on the following Sunday, the first Sunday in October, I think that's the third, we're going to have infant care. That's going to be children zero through four-year-olds. Uh, and then um, we're going to just ride that for a while, and by the first of the year, we'll open up other children's ministries and student ministries. Uh, the student ministry is going to be having periodic student events on Wednesday night. We're going to try to continue the social distancing as much as we can by, while getting us together. Stay involved in your Bible study groups. Um, but Jeff and Alicia and I are going to be doing a broadcast on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. So uh, join us at carpenterscwbc.org or on your app. We're going to be doing a live feed uh, just to let you know what it looks like. It's probably going to be about 15 minutes for the next few months. But please, uh, please don't just stay away. Come back unless you're concerned. No pressure. Uh, we're here to serve you. Let us know as you have needs. Thank you for your faithful giving. It has been six months. Can you believe that? Six months since we've just been together, you know, as a group. So we're looking forward to all that. Thank you for your patience. Uh, I am sorry it's difficult. Like I said, we're just, we're just trying to minister as much as we can. The reason we're delaying some of the children's stuff and even when we opened up 
is uh, because when school started, we kind of wanted to give them a chance to get going and see what's happening there and how it's spreading. And, and so we're going to continue to be wise and do the best we can. Um, so Wednesday night at 7 o'clock on uh, cwbc.org. Uh, watch us. We'll be doing a live feed there and, and all. Um, Julie has an announcement. Yes. Um, this actually goes along with Mark. I'm giving you an update as far as women's ministry goes and what we're um, planning for the, for the fall. Um, we've been doing um, virtual um, Bible studies. There has been a, a small group, the Sunday night Bible study group that has um, been meeting over the last couple of months. Um, but mostly we've been doing things on Facebook, doing Facebook Live. Heather Terry has been doing that and doing a fabulous job. And many of you ladies are involved in that as I am. And um, anyway, what we're going to do um, in the next couple weeks, we're getting started. We're going to be offering in-person Bible studies. We're back to that because we have some rooms that have, are big enough to accommodate us and still allow us to be social distanced and um, be able to see, at least see each other's faces and um, discuss the, the Word of God together. So we're going to be starting, uh, the Sunday night group is going to be starting on September 13th, a new study. It's 40 days through the Bible. Um, it's a actual Bible study um, by Proverbs 31 Ministries, if any of you are in, um, acquainted with that. And so they, it's at 5 o'clock. They meet here at the church. And then the following Wednesday morning, we've had Wednesday morning studies, and we're going to get back to that. And we're going to be doing Psalm 23 by Jennifer Rothschild. Um, another group in our church has done that, and um, they've really enjoyed being able. It seems weird going through a very short passage of Scripture that many weeks, but um, I've heard it's good to dive in. And, and so I'm anxious to try that, to, to go through that study too. So that will be the Sunday night, September 13th, 5 p.m. here at the church. Uh, Wednesday mornings at 9.30, Psalm 23. Um, we have put the information on our Facebook page for you if you're interested and you want a book to do that. Um, if you're not on Facebook, um, those watching too, if you don't aren't, aren't tuning in there, then you can call the office and let Wendy know that you're interested and you would like a book, and that's the best way to do that. Um, one other last thing. We know that some of you still aren't ready to do in person. So Heather is going to be continuing. She's finishing up a study, and she's going to do another one on Facebook. Um, so that's still going to be a, a, a place for you to join in, um, as well as if you are interested in doing the Psalm 23 study, but you're like, I just don't know if I'm ready to do in person, and you'd be interested in doing it on Zoom. We're just getting, we just would like to know if you're interested in that. If we have enough interest, we're going to put a group together, and we want to make sure that everyone is able to be involved in some way. Um, because even if you can't be in person, seeing another person's face on Zoom, another of your uh, Christian sisters is really encouraging, helps us to keep going and stay in the Word together. So lots of stuff going on. Um, Julie, is that stuff on the women's page on Facebook? Carpenter's Way Women's Ministry, if you're not, uh, haven't liked that yet, look that up. Um, and I should make sure that she puts it on the Carpenter's Way page too. Yeah, and if you, have any, if you have any questions, email us. It's julie at cwbc.org or mark at cwbc.org. Uh, we have a men's Tuesday morning Bible study that's on Zoom still right now, online. We can walk you through how to get online. But it's 6.30 to 7.10, led by Daryl Douglas, who's doing a fantastic job. We're walking through the book of Daniel. Now, again, to put in context to where we are in society, the church is not here to push back on whether you think the virus is accurate or political. What the church is here to do is to equip you for the work of the ministry, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. And while we've been successful at that, I think, for the most part over the past six months, the truth is we want, it, we want you to see each other. We want you to interact with each other. And so we're beginning that process of getting you back together. 
And uh, please, I, I know it's easy, a uh, little easier now, at least get involved in your Bible studies, at least be in touch with them. And again, be on the Facebook page for women, uh, Carpenter's Way Women's page, uh, and we're here to answer questions, lots of information. So again, Wednesday night at 7, though, we'll be answering these questions very slowly and methodically uh, for you and uh, um, just to kind of give you some, uh, some moving forward. So next Sunday, come on back. We'd love to have you back here. There's not childcare or coffee next week, so go through McDonald's and bring your kids and, and let them be kids. This, this, is, this is our family room, and uh, we, we want them here. Uh, um, one more thing that's happening next week. As you know, uh, because of your faithful giving, the church hasn't just continued to exist, but we've been able to continue to do our task as churches. And uh, that is we have been able to support substantially more than we normally do our mission work. And uh, that is in process. Robert Grimes will probably have an announcement. Robert, are you in here? He'll probably have something to share with you in the coming weeks. Jared Pig and Robert Grimes are our pastors over missions. And uh, to share with you that we're going to spend, uh, it looks like they're in process right now of sending tens of thousands of dollars to our missionaries again to feed people who are hurting because of the virus again. That's because you're giving. And um, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Don't, don't stop. As we come together, don't stop giving. Don't stop being faithful in that. You are affecting the globe. And uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, and one more thing. Katie, I said it last week, right? Did you sing last week? Was it two weeks ago? Katie, come up here with me. I will not give you COVID. Um, but Katie is, I'm going to touch you. Katie is leaving us this week. Okay, next Sunday, I'll just repeat what you're saying. So next Sunday, you're going, and uh, for those who don't know, can you, if I get her mic, can you, is this going to mess you guys up for worship? Katie, tell them what you're about to do. Um, I'm going to study abroad in the Dominican Republic while, you know, doing college classes, learning Spanish, and doing mission work in the communities with Students International. It's, it's both a college education and missions training, is that right? Yes. With Students International, who, those of you who don't know that name, that's the organization that we support, uh, that we go to Guatemala with. And uh, she is joining an educational program they've got. She'll be leaving next Sunday, uh, has raised some support, and a lot, a lot of its support. And if you'd like to be part of her team, let her know. But we're going to pray for you right now. And I'm going to ask Doug, I don't know if there's any other elders in the room. Can you come up and join me, Doug? He's like, why are you calling me up? Because you're an elder. Uh, is there any other elders here this morning? Robert, why don't you come up and we'll pray over her? Yes, you need the mic because I'm going to have... She's actually going to be singing this morning during communion, so you will enjoy that. But take a picture of your screen, put it on your phone, and pray for her. This is, uh, this is a wonderfully exciting time. Yeah, I'll take the mic. You know what? I'm going to give the mic to one of these guys. Robert, I'm going to have you pray. Thank you, gentlemen. Come on. <laughs> so, Robert, I'm going to have you pray for her. Guys, let's uh, come around here. I know that this isn't social distancing, but the Holy It's over. Forget the social distancing thing. I'm safe. Father, we just thank you so much for allowing us to uh, serve you. We thank you so much for Katie. Is her heart for missions. Father, she's always loved you dearly, and she's always wanted to... Uh, to work in missions and father i thank you for giving her this opportunity pray as she leaves that um holy spirit that you would guide her that you would continue to teach her that you would take away any fear or apprehension 
he would be at total peace to give her great opportunities in the Dominican Republic to share the gospel. Lord, that you would uh, teach her, just guide her, direct her, give her, uh, give her family peace with her being away from home uh, such a great distance. Lord, again, we just pray you bless her in a mighty way as she does your work. For us in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. I'll give you the mic back. All right. Well, let's do what we came here to do and focus back on the Lord. Um, thanks again for watching with us. It's good to see so many of you. We're crawling back into the worship center, and it is, it is an honor to have you here. This does do my heart good. So let's, uh, Julie, I'll, I'll pray one more time. I can pray again. Not, not ever too much prayer. If you're wondering if we don't know what we're doing right now, it's because we don't. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you again for you. Thank you for this wonderful study we've had for the last year and a half. And of looking at you. And now as we turn our eyes away from the business of church, the programming of church, back to you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a very powerful and real way today. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name. things. You alone are God.
these next several songs, I want to invite you to stand, join us in worship.
great song, and it's right from Scripture, and uh, <clears throat> i got to tell you, you know, there's a lot of stuff during the Sunday morning service we can do uh, online, but when you sit <clears throat> in the front and you listen to the voices surround you and our singers and uh, our instrumentation, man, Justin was so good this morning, all praising our Lord, it's, it's pretty amazing. Gosh, it's good to see you guys. I know I keep saying that. That's because I missed you. We, we were up here, I think, I, I know I keep saying it, but like three months without anybody in this room. And uh, I know my preaching was shorter then, but uh, it's so good to see you back. So I, I just want to pray. I want to pray to the one we just sang about, the Holy One, the one right now seated at the right hand of the Father. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you that our hope is not found in the United States of America. Thank you that our hope is not even found in the church, which, which makes mistakes. Thank you that our, our hope is not found in morality, self-righteousness. Thank you that a holy God not only redeemed us, but left us to prepare a place for us so that at just the right time we could go home and we will never deal with sickness again, we'll never deal with injustice again, we'll never deal with uh, frustration or anger or disappointment again. We will be in the presence of the Holy One, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who says, call me dad. Father God, all of that was made possible because Jesus came for 33 and a half years and faithfully obeyed the Father 
died on the cross, rose again the third day, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord Jesus, as we come to the conclusion of our study this morning, Father, may it all come together for us today. Not because of creative preaching or wordsmithing, but because the, the Holy One of God lives within us and is revealing Himself to us in a very precious and special way. May we never, ever, ever go back. And I know during this season there are some who are hurting, there are some who are angry, there are some who are frustrated, there are some who are scared and confused and anxious and depressed, but you are the God of healing. And so I pray that you would heal us of all of our diseases, including the emotional ones, and you would put our eyes back on you. May we look full in your wonderful face so that the things of the earth would grow strangely dim. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. John chapter 21 says that Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and, the other two, and other, uh, two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach with his disciples who couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter had heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and he headed for shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, uh, to shore for they were, on, they were uh, only about 100 yards from shore at the time. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. There were fish cooked over a charcoal fire and some bread. Hey, bring some fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And I just want to pause. I know this is what we studied last week, but I'm giving context for this week's message. But I just want to point out, look what Jesus is doing. Don't just learn from Jesus' words. Look at, learn from Jesus' actions. He actually cooks them breakfast. He actually lit the charcoal on fire, and he actually made the bread, and he actually cleaned the fish. When he told Peter, I mean, it doesn't lay out every detail of every story, but when he said to Peter, bring some fish, somebody had to clean it. And my guess is, since it says that Jesus served them, that it was Jesus that cleaned the fish. His fingers were in the guts. His fingers were the one that cut with the knife. It's Jesus. Jesus was not too high and mighty, not too holy to not serve. What a wonderful God we serve. What an amazing God. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. 
I tell you the truth, Simon. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me, Peter. Peter turned around and he saw behind him the disciple that Jesus loved that we know as John, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? What about him? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, you just follow me. What a powerful end to the resurrection story. What a powerful end to what we know of the discipleship, of the training, the preparing, the the 40 days or so that Jesus would spend with these disciples. What a powerful, life-altering, worldview-changing statement Jesus made. Peter, you keep your eyes on me. I'll take care of everything and everyone else as I see fit. You just need to follow me. Follow me. But why? Why? I'm already saved. Why follow you? I'm not going to hell. I'm going to your kingdom. Why can't we just learn about the Christian life from from our favorite teachers and authors and and just do what they tell us to do and, and learn what they want us to learn? Why must I follow Jesus? Why didn't Jesus just save the disciples and when he ascends into the heavens, why doesn't he just take them with him? Why did he call them to shore when they seemed plenty happy fishing? Because as we talked about last week, this is the bottom line of the Christian life from Ephesians chapter 2. You have to wrap your minds around this if you are going to understand why you're here. If you're going to overcome the anger and frustration of culture, of life, of American Christianity, you're going to have to understand this, that God saved you by His grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it because of all that, and I added that, for we are God's masterpiece. We're God's masterpiece. We're not our own. We're not our churches. I mean, I want you to think, and I hope as I bring this up almost every week, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, I hope that you begin to see it within its context, especially verse 10, that you're his masterpiece. That, again, as I talk about all the time, is often what we throw to each other to say, you're special, God loves you, look how beautiful you are, don't commit suicide. What he is saying is, because God did all the work to save you, because God did all the redeeming, you are now his masterpiece. You belong to him. You have been transformed by him. You are his masterpiece. He has created you anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do good things he planned for us to do. You see, salvation isn't just about not going to hell. Salvation is not about just going to heaven. What Jesus did on the cross was to make us adoptable into the family of God. And if we accept his offer to be adopted, we are actually now called into the family business. You see, the disciples, the reason they went fishing, and we talked about this last week, is I think the reason Peter suggests going fishing is because what else does he know to do? (laughs) What else is he going to do? Jesus isn't hanging out. He shows up, well, on every occasion for a few minutes, and then he disappears. On last week's occasion, he actually has breakfast with them. But before he has breakfast with them, they don't know what to do. They don't know if Jesus is going to hang out. They don't know if he's going to fly away. All they know is, oh, everything's changed. Now what? 
let's go fishing. And Jesus wanted them to know that fishing was no longer their calling. Just like us, they were to continue the ministry of Jesus. That was always the plan. They were not merely saved from hell or saved into his kingdom. They were brought into the family, of, uh, the family business, as I mentioned. Do you remember John 17 that we looked at just a few short weeks ago? Verse 13, Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, I am now coming to you, and I have told them, talking about the disciples, many things while I was with them in the world, so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I don't belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them by your word, which is truth. And this is significant. Think about this, this verse, 18. Just as you, Father, sent me into the world, I am now sending them into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he sent you into the world so that whoever believes in his only begotten Son can have eternal life. You see, now the work starts. Verse 19 of John 17 says, And I give myself as a holy sacrifice to them, for them, so that they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now that Jesus Christ had died, buried, and was resurrected, the disciples were being sent into the world in the same impetus, with the same calling that Jesus himself had beyond being the Redeemer. Except for buying our salvation, the disciples were being sent into a lost world with the same ministry and same message as Jesus had been tasked by the Father. And then Jesus said something shocking to us in 2020. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. That's us. If you ever wanted to find a verse in Scripture that talks about you, you today, it's this verse. He was, Jesus was praying for us to understand our task in the world, our ministry. We would do well to watch the disciples. We would do well to watch them wrestle with Jesus' ascension and, and life outside of his physical presence. And I, I have to be careful when I say that because Jesus is still with us and he sent the Holy Spirit and Jesus is om, omnipresent and, and, and God is always here. But we're talking about in his physical absence. If Jesus were to walk in this room and he could prove that it was him, none of you would want to hear what I have to say for the next 40 minutes. You'd want to hear what he has to say. Don't not, some of you are actually nodding. That hurts my feelings. The, the truth is that, that, that we love Jesus, we want to hear, well, this is, uh, this is amazing because as we end our study of Jesus from the Scriptures this morning, the study on who is this man, we begin a new study next week called The Body, and it's actually a study of the early church out of Acts chapter 2, or out of the whole book of Acts. But out of Acts, that, that book is actually has a title, one of the few books of the Bible title, and it's called The Acts of the Apostles. It's the story of early Christianity. And if you wrestle with what does God want for me in this life, then it's the perfect book for you to study because that's the same question that they were going to have to answer themselves. 
after that breakfast conversation we just went through, Peter, Peter ended that conversation with Jesus, and this happened in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. After breakfast, the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Uh, you may or may not recall from our study that at the Last Supper, Jesus told them that he was going to leave them, and then he was going to come back, and then he would spend a short time with them, and then he was going to go to his father. But before he went to his father, he said to them that they would, uh, they would see him in Galilee. This is that time. Verse 17 of Matthew chapter 28. When they saw him on that mountain in Galilee, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Let that sink in for a second. These are the disciples of Jesus. This isn't the world. This is the disciples. These are the ones that Jesus says, I want you to meet me on a mountain in Galilee because I'm going to teach you some stuff. i got some important things to say to you, so I want you to meet me over there. So the disciples go to meet him, and they worship, but some doubted. Um, this is a weird application for the message, but I want you to know apparently it's okay to doubt. No matter how faithful you are, no matter how much you've seen God do in your life, there are times of doubt. What the disciples didn't do, though, that Judas did when he doubted was abandon Jesus. I remember somebody giving me advice a few years back when I was struggling. She told me that I should be more like the woman with the issue of blood. Do you remember what she did in the crowd? She grabbed onto the rabbi's prayer tassels, the edge of his garment, and she wouldn't let go. That's the advice that the disciples took. Even when you doubt, go to the mountain. Even when you question, even when you wonder. We have no idea what they were doubting at the time, but they were doubting while worshiping. And I know in the next, four, in the next three months as the election comes, you are going to wonder if God's still in charge. Some of you are going to wonder it on the day after the election when you find out your person didn't make it. The person you were sure was called by God to be, to be the king. The truth is God is still in charge. And even when you don't feel like he's in charge, you just hold on to the hem of his garment. You hold on and you let him drag you through life because he's faithful. He is faithful. We have become so accustomed to reacting to our feelings that maybe it's time for the church to act in faith instead of feeling. We all doubt, myself included, but God is always faithful. Some of them doubted, and I love Jesus' response in verse 18. Jesus doesn't say, you're doubting. I told you not to doubt. You big bunch of boobs, what's wrong with you? He doesn't do that. In verse 18, it says that Jesus came. So Jesus is on the side of the mountain. They're walking towards him. They see him. They immediately start worshiping, and some doubt. And Jesus' response is to knowing that some are doubting, and he doesn't yell at them. It says that he goes to the disciples, and he tells them, I've been given all authority now in heaven and on earth. In other words, I know that you're wondering what's going on. I know you're doubting about me and my power. I know you think that maybe we lost this battle, but I got news for you. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. The Greek word used here is ekosia, which means power, official authority, the right to rule. While we do not know exactly what their doubt was, Jesus informs the doubting disciples that he is now completely in charge no matter what it looks like, having been given his position of authority to rule in heaven by the Trinity. The Trinity has said, Jesus, you get to rule on heaven and on earth. 
And what is his, get this, okay, so let that sink in. I know so far, so far we're kind of lofty, but I want you to really understand the first act of authority that Jesus takes. So Jesus sees them doubting. They're worshiping, but they're doubting, and he walks up to them and says, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. I've got it now. It's done. I'm in charge. And his very first act is this, verse 19. Therefore, you know, you, you learn this in elementary school. Whenever you see therefore, you ask what it's there for. Why is that there? Because Jesus just said, I've got all authority, including authority over you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember, the only thing I'm really going to say about that last sentence, the end of the age, the end of the age is a reference to when things get really bad, right before the return of the Lord. What he's saying is, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Even as the world, even as Jerusalem is ransacked, even as you watch the Temple Mount be torn apart, even as there's no stones left, even as the women of Jerusalem run for the hills, remember he warned them that all this was going to happen? He says, even as you see all that, I am with you. I am with you. You can trust me. But the first order of business as ruler of all is to give three pieces of instructions to his apostles. These are his apostles. That word means sent ones. These are the ones that God has sent out to do something. The first one is to go and make disciples of every nation. In other words, introduce the world to me or me to the world. I want you to go and I want you to make, them, make followers of me out of every nation. These are not to be Jews or Hebraic loving people. These are not to be religious people. They're not to be evangelicals. They're not to be Democrats or Republicans, not Americans. I got, I got to just address that for a second. You know, the United States church has always struggled with making sure that we point people to Jesus and not to us. In the early 19th century, or in the late 19th century, the earliest 20th century, the church was, became very active in sending out missionaries globally. That's one of the great things the church has done in this country. But one of the most difficult parts was realizing we were not sending them out to clothe the naked Indians of South America. We were telling them about Jesus. And uh, to go to China and work with Chinese, one of the things that happened is many, many of our missionaries would come back and they would look like the people they were serving because they had been they had adapted into their culture to tell them not about America, but about God. Are you kind of following me on this? I'm not speaking super clearly. But the point was, these missionaries would come back, and there were a couple of missionaries in particular that worked with the Chinese that came back to the United States, and there was one man who had a long braid, and he was persecuted by the American church because they didn't look American, he looked Chinese. It is easy for us to think that as, a, that, that as the body of people in, are introduced to Jesus Christ, they become more Americanized. And I just want to add, that's the danger of a nationalistic religion. America is not a Christian nation. The church is followers of Christ. America is influenced by the church as she walks with him. If you want to see America change, walk with Jesus. Be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And I know, well, that takes too long. There's not enough of us. Then you're worried about the wrong thing. You know, the, see, the first thing we're to seek is the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom. Jesus' first instructions to the disciple is for them to go into all the world and make disciples, every nation. Make them followers of Jesus. And those that become followers of Jesus get the second instruction. 
they are to be baptized in the name of the Trinity. Now, we have a wide audience watching online, and if you come from a particular uh, Christian group that doesn't believe in baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, your problem is not with me, it's with Scripture. This is what they were mandated to do. And please understand, it's not a, um, even though when we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we could just as easily say, in the name of the Trinity, I baptize you. Because that's what this is. It is ironic that most of those denominations that have a problem with baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit also deny the Trinity. That's Jesus Christ. Actions of Jesus Christ. Actions of Jesus Christ. And they were to make Jews or Americans or Baptists or Pentecostals or Assemblies of God people. They were to make followers of Jesus. And as time has come, we have begun advocating our own churches, our own minds, mindset, our own mentality, which is why the study of Jesus' life from the Gospels for nearly two years now has been so significant personally. I have forgotten many of the simple teachings of Jesus. As a Baptist, for instance, or I could say an evangelical, when I preach an evangelistic message, often my goal is to get people to pray a prayer or walk an aisle. The Scripture never says to do that. It says, repent of your sins, and declare Jesus is Lord and the only one who can forgive you. It's never to make them Baptist. And I have been realigned in this study to calling people, to looking at the fruit of their lives, and asking, am I a child of God? Not, did you walk an aisle at five, or went to VBS, or are you a member of the church or a Bible study leader? Does the fruit of your life, uh, actually the fruit of your life tells who owns you? If it's the fruit of the flesh, then it's the flesh that owns you, and you have every right to question your salvation. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, then you know who owns you. And, and this is hugely significant because I want you to understand that in the New Testament times, baptism was not a unique thing. In fact, if you were to go to Israel or the Holy Land, you would see in many of the corners and many of the outside of synagogues and temples uh, in places of worship, you would see what are called mitzvahs. They're, they're baptismal pools. And before, when somebody would join a group, when somebody would join a, a rabbinical teaching group, when somebody would join a synagogue, they would often be taken to the mitzvah and baptized. And baptism was a picture that I'm stepping away from my own life, and I am now a part of this group. I am a follower of this group. Their values are my values. My values are their values. It's ironic that we have now associated baptism with church membership, because that's not what it's about. You see, the disciples aren't being told to grow a church. They're being told to make disciples of Jesus, of every nation. And once people become followers of Jesus, have them make a public profession of who owns them, just like Jesus did. You don't get saved by being baptized. Jesus didn't need to be saved. You make a statement, and that is, I am now putting my own flesh and desires aside. I am a follower of the Trinity. I now go death to me, alive in Christ, and I want you to watch me as I follow God. That's all baptism is. Baptism is a public declaration that you are not running your own life. Have you been baptized? One of the questions that I, or comments I get is I'm very shy. I don't, I really don't want to get up in front of a bunch of people and go in a pool. That's the point. It's death to self. It's not maintaining your image. It's not, it's, it's, it's actually dying to your image. And I think the church has forgotten this. If you are a baptized believer, you have already made a declaration, not that you have joined Carpenter's Way or First Assembly or 
First Baptist or wherever you go, but you have made a public de- declaration that I have been ministered to, I have accepted Christ's offer to forgive me, and I am a follower of the Trinity. I understand that the Father, well, I'll get into that in a few moments. I understand Jesus died for me. I understand the Holy Spirit is guiding me. I understand the Father has sealed me and is overseeing this and is directing and guiding and ruling the world. That's what you're saying. And therefore, if you are a baptized follower of Jesus, you are not just a church member. You have declared that you are a follower of Jesus. Some of you need to get baptized. Or quit claiming you're a follower. I'm not saying you're not saved by not being baptized. That's not the point. I'm saying you haven't fully committed. That's exactly what this is. It isn't a church thing. And one of the, look, I'm so glad that we live in a Christian culture. I am. I'm glad that we live in the Bible Belt. I'm glad that there are biblical morals in this culture for the most part. But one of the problems with living in a Christian culture is you misassociate things. Baptism was step two of a discipling process. They were to lead people to Jesus, and those that chose to follow, they were then to say, your life is not your own. And in that training process, they were then to take them publicly at a lake or a pool or in their Baptist baptismal and they were to say, you're not your own. And you're supposed to say to the world, I get it. I'm no longer a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a follower of Jesus who votes one of those two. I am no longer somebody who's trying to be patriotic to this country. I am first going to seek God's kingdom. I put my own health aside for the health of the kingdom. That's all that is. That's why he tells them, make disciples. Secondly, baptize them. And, and I want to remind you that this isn't just here, and I'm not just making this up. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says it. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, He lives within you. He lives in you, and He was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So for those of us who have more to say about having to wear a mask than we have about Jesus, you're wrong. Because your first primary goal is not to keep the government honest if you think they're lying. It's to introduce people who are duped that Jesus Christ is Redeemer. And it isn't just something you should think about. It's something you should remember you already said. Are you following me? This is why, now let me connect all these pieces. This is why the disciples didn't catch any fish on their own. This is why Jesus said in the morning, hey, throw your nets on the other side, which is a ridiculous thing to do. If you cast four feet over, you're going to catch a fish. It's ridiculous. The reason he did that was to let them know that even fishing wasn't theirs anymore. They would never catch a fish unless he gave them a fish. And I thought it was interesting last week. I know I'm going back to last week's message, but I think it's interesting that Jesus tells Peter, hey, bring me some of your fish. Were they really Peter's fish? I mean, Jesus provided them. What's in your wallet isn't yours. When you gave your life to Christ and you were baptized, you declared it his. What we, what we own isn't ours, it's his. It's his. How we vote, it's his. It's about him. And they were to go to every nation, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Trinity, and thirdly, i got to make sure I haven't jumped ahead of myself here because I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> Sorry. Thirdly, they were to teach these baptized followers to obey the things he was telling them to do. 
Uh, let me go back and remind you of the third thing. So let me read this for you again. Therefore, because of all the things I taught you, I want you to go and make disciples of every nation. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And here's what's interesting. The commands he's talking about in the Greek, it's these commands. So what he's telling them to do is, I want you to go and reach people in every nation. I want you to make them followers of me, not of you or your church or anything else. Make them followers of me. I want you to help them understand that they need to publicly profess that they follow me, the Trinity. That's what baptism is. And then you need to continue teaching them to go out and obey these things. In other words, it's like a waterfall. They're now to cascade discipleship to others. So in other words, you guys go out and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then I want you to teach other people to do the same thing I've told you to do. That's what leads to us in 2020. We are supposed to do these things because it's been cascaded down to us from 2,300 years ago. This is our responsibility. We are to go into every nation, or here, including the United States. Not all of us is supposed to do what Katie's about to do. But we are supposed to go about our business, introducing people to Jesus, making followers, dis, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then training them to be disciple makers as well. Because that's what our family business is. We are saved as a gift, not of ourselves. We are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. We can't boast about this. We are his masterpiece. Why? So that we can do the things he asked us to do. And what does he asked us to do? Make disciples. And you know where that's hardest to do? East Texas, when everybody thinks they're saved. I got, I got news, okay? I love East Texas. I, I'm wearing boots this morning to prove it. And they're not, and they're, and they're like flat fronts. I don't, God gone it, I got, Cecil, what do you call these? Square toes. I used to have pointy toes, but they hurt my toes. But I have square-toed boots. I'd never really seen them until I moved to East Texas, and I'm very proud of these. But I've got to tell you something dangerous that Satan's got in this community. There are lots of Christians, but I don't know how many of them are actually saved. There are so many people in this community that are not living for the Trinity. They've been baptized but they don't understand that is not associated with salvation. That is not associated with church membership. It is associated as making a public profession, like holding a sign that says, I live for Jesus. My decisions, how I do my business, how I, how I uh, interact with somebody who's serving me dinner, how I interact with a cop that pulls me over when I've broken the law, how I interact with my neighbors, that is all driven by the Trinity. That is the calling of the church. That is why he made us his workmanship. That's why they were still here. Because Jesus was about to send into heaven, and as the Father had sent him, now he was sending them. This all makes sense, doesn't it? It all flows. And I remind you that Jesus told the disciples that he had to leave so that somebody greater than himself could come. Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, this is after he instructs them what his commands are, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his names to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. 
There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are the witnesses of all of these things. This is so cool. Jesus just explained the last three and a half years he had spent with them. And he opens their mind to understand what happened, boys, in that three and a half years, and I'm almost done. And we're going to take communion in a moment. But what he had just done is he had just explained all that time that they felt like was kind of wasted. He had not just been getting them to minister with him. He didn't need their help. He had the supernatural. What he had done is he had taught them about himself. They didn't realize that they were being taught about Jesus. All that time was disciple-making. He had modeled ministry for them. For three and a half years, he was making disciples out of them. They had been baptized, and now they were being sent out to do the same that he had done. To obey the command that the Trinity had given Jesus was now their task. But man, they're such silly men. Even on this day, they're doubting him. And so Jesus addressed that with them as well in Luke 24, 49. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. I want you to stay here in the city of Jerusalem until that Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I want to remind you that in John 15, Jesus had told them that he was the vine and they were the branches. I want to remind you that he told them that they could do nothing without him. I want to remind you that they couldn't even fish and catch fish without his help anymore. And now he's telling them to stay in Jerusalem because he's going to send the power to do the work he's leaving them to do. With the same supernatural authority and power of the resurrection, they would present the gospel. With that simple fact in mind, Jesus does not send them out to the mission field immediately alone. He sends them to Jerusalem to await the helper he had promised that would fill them with power from heaven. John 14, 26 says, that when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you, disciples, Jesus is talking to them, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. In Mark 16, 19, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them about all these things, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. He ascended. That had to be one weird moment. They had to be standing there going, okay, we've seen a lot of weird things, but that is kind of freaky. He ascended into heaven right as they're walking, watching. More on that in the coming weeks. But I just, I just want to remind you that Jesus is not right now sitting at the right hand of the Father watching and hoping that we do it well. That's what the founders of our country thought. It's called deism. They thought that God started and left us alone down here. I think a lot of the church believes that. Every time you hear a pastor say, if you don't, nobody else will, that's not true. You're not forced to serve the Lord. You're invited to serve the Lord. It's an invitation. He sent us, though. He didn't just start this thing and leave us. Jesus is not just sitting at the right hand of the Father going, give them a break, they're losers. Romans 8.34 says this about us. Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for you, praying for you. Even this morning, right now, he's going, they're thinking about Applebee's, not the message. He's praying for you. We 
come in here each week and we'll get back into it in the next few months and we'll say to each other, how are you? I'm fine. And then your spouse is going to say, I heard you got cancer this week. Well, yeah, but that's just a minor cancer of the brain. God's pleading for you. He's pleading for you. Father, Mark's inclined to stupid stuff. Please instruct the Holy Spirit to guide him and help him. He is praying to the Father, interceding for us. And John 16, 13, and 14 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth. He will speak. He will not speak on His own, but He will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. In other words, this is how it's poised. The Holy Spirit lives within me because I, as a child of God, am the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's in there. Don't ask me to explain it. He's in there. The Father is seated on his throne in heaven, and next to him, to the right of him, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is pleading with, with the Father on my behalf. Father Mark's going to struggle here. I know him. He's kind of silly. He gets, he gets caught up in himself. So, Father, he's inclined to this. And the Father speaks to the Holy Spirit and says, you need to tell Mark not to do this. Or when I go down the road and I'm thinking about myself, he's telling me to care about those that I come in contact with every moment of every day. For those of you whose whole life right now is raising children in your home, that's your task. And right now, the Father, or Jesus Christ, is praying to the Father on your behalf, and the Holy Spirit who lives within you is guiding you and directing you how to do that, like not to kill them. For teachers, you don't want to kill the kids. You want to kill the administration. God is telling you that is not how you make disciples. For those of you who are frustrated with the Democrat Party, I understand. You want to march on somebody for something. I get it. If you're a liberal... You want to march on somebody for something. If you have been baptized, if you are a child of God having been redeemed and you have made a public profession of faith, you have no business doing that if it's outside of the realms of the Spirit's fruit. We are not here to save this country. We are here to tell people, no matter what country they're in, that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. Become a follower of Jesus with me. And then you can actually go out and get people to follow Jesus with you. And that's why Jesus left the disciples here. And here's the craziest part. 2 Peter 1, 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And who is the divine power? The Holy Spirit. More on that in the next four years as we go through Acts. Because I'm going to show you what a bunch of silly men, and do not forget this morning's message because it's a setup. I'm going to show you what a bunch of silly guys who watched the resurrection, who had seen on at least three different occasions the resurrected Jesus and the scars in his hands and in his side. These silly men who see him again and start to doubt. I'm going to show you what an individual like that is capable of when empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's all that the books of Acts is about. It's not, the, it's not a book about a bunch of guys who had it all together. It's about what God can do through guys who know they don't. That's what this is about. And I don't think we as churches understand why we're still here. So we're going to answer that question. Jesus has left, and he's left us here. What are we doing with this? It's time for communion. And Katie is going to sing a song called In Christ Alone. She loves that song. It's perfect for communion. For those of you in this room, let me explain one more time that there is a tasteless cracker on the top. It is really, really, it's weird because it has no taste. So you rip that little piece of plastic off, and there it is. It will melt in your tongue. And underneath there is grape juice that's been watered down by some organization who made sure it was sterile. If you are home, 
Get some juice. Get some bread. But only take communion this morning if you are willing to rededicate yourself to living for the, for the values and under the authority and the calling of the Trinity. If Jesus Christ has changed the way you view this life in himself through our study, it's time. You've already been baptized, most of you. You don't need to be baptized again. Instead, you need to be recommitted. Commit yourself to his work. I'm going to let Katie and Julie sing and play, and you may take when you're ready.
Katie's about to go to the train to be a missionary, to be discipled, right? You know, the only difference between Katie and you is she's going and you're called to stay. It's really the only difference. We're all to do what the disciples were told to do, and then what they told others to do, who told others to do it, who told others to do it, 2,300 years ago, and here we are. Don't wait on the church to cascade discipleship. Disciple your kids. Disciple your neighbor's kids. Disciple the people in your neighborhood. And even those of you who are nervous about coming back, I get it. No, you're not going to get any pressure from this church to come back. But you are still called to be the church. And you still got to cascade this. I think that there's a move to think occupationally is where ministry is done. It's not. Most ministry done in your life, on your school, with your kids, with your grandkids. Go get them, you guys. Next week, we'll start our study of the body. Um, you are not allowed to hug Katie um, because she has the weebajeebies, <laughs> but you can stand five feet from her and tell her, wish her well. So Katie, we'll have you go sit down there. Hey, we'll see you. Don't forget, Wednesday night at 7, we have a big announcement. Jeff and Alicia and I will be on uh, live. So God bless you guys. Have a great week.